Before we hear today's gospel reading, though, I think it will be very helpful for us to place it in the larger context of Luke's gospel. Right before, if you were here last week, you heard the story, but right before today's reading, in response to the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus tells this story about a good Samaritan, about a man who shows compassion to someone in need. After telling the story of these three travelers and their different responses to someone who's hurt on the side of the road, Jesus asks a question of the questioner. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The man rightly answers, the one who showed him mercy. If the story would have ended there, it would have been nice, but it didn't end there. It never ends there. Jesus ends his lesson with a command, with an imperative. Go, he says, go and do likewise. And it's with this imperative, this command to go and do likewise, this command of Jesus ringing in our ears that we hear the story before us today. So listen now for God's word to you. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Go and do. Sit and listen. Two very different commands put together by Jesus. Every week I get two weeks to go off and study. It's one of the blessings of being a pastor. And this past week I spent the week at the Chautauqua Institution in western New York. For those who haven't heard of Chautauqua, it's kind of a fairy tale land where you study and worship and hang out and talk and laugh and walk and hike and bike. It's a great place to be enriched and to have your faith challenged and deepened. The theme of this past week was picked over a year ago, but the theme was moral leadership which was quite timely considering all that has and is happening in our nation and in our world. Throughout the week, thoughtful people, smart people, addressed how a person leads with integrity and compassion in such a time as this. Our responses to institutional racism, income inequality, the threat of terrorism, and the lack of women in positions of leadership were all discussed throughout the week. As I listened to sermons and lectures and read a few books and talked things over with my family and my friends who were there with me, I found myself pulled in two very different directions by two very different voices. One voice tugged at my conscience to do more, to get more involved, to take a stand, Derek, for the things you believe that are right, regardless of the consequences. Go, Derek, and do something. It's that voice that rightly tells me at times that I'm not doing 
enough that I've grown complacent and lazy. Do you, do you know that voice? Of course you do. Which makes me think you also know the other voice that tugs on the other ear, the voice that compels us to take a step back, to pray, to breathe, to spend more time listening and discerning and seeking God's guidance and God's will. It's the voice that the stewardess says to us on the plane, put on your own oxygen mask before you help the person seated next next to you. Go and do and sit and listen. And as these two voices competed for my attention throughout the week, I'll be honest, I, I felt a tad bit paralyzed. To open the lecture series this year at Chautauqua, the organizers had invited DeRay McKesson, one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, to speak on the very first lecture, the very first Monday. Unfortunately, due to his arrest on Saturday night in Baton Rouge during a protest following the death of Alton Sterling, that wasn't going to happen. He couldn't make it there in time. And his words spread across the grounds that Mr. McKesson would not be able to speak. Everyone wondered who would take his place, who would speak about Black Lives Matter, who would help us learn something new. Well, on Monday, as we streamed into the large outdoor amphitheater that is the heart of Chautauqua, the senior pastor of the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church, the Reverend Raphael Warnock, filled the first chair. There was four chairs on stage. He filled the first one. Then his wife, Olier, a doctoral student at Columbia University with degrees from Oxford in England and Spelman College, were both there as well. Joining this power couple on stage were the journalist Bill Moyers and former ambassador and civil rights icon Andrew Young. Not a bad plan B. We were all excited but a little nervous. It's quite a mix of people. And what started out as a friendly exchange between acquaintances, between friends really, quickly became a bitter debate between Ambassador Young and Olile Warnock. Ambassador Young could not hold back his contempt for the Black Lives Matter movement, believing it was ill-timed and ill-conceived. They were marching too much and thinking too little, he argued, when they ought to be sitting and listening to the advice of others like him who'd been there before. While Ambassador Young critiqued BLM, Oile Warnock could not hold back her frustration for his belittling of a movement that she believed proved that young people today of all races were awake. She was encouraged by their activism, she argued, and felt that their anger and frustration served an important role, an important purpose. It was really a classic argument between old guard and new guard, between what worked then and what might work now. And I'll be honest, it was painful to watch. You felt uncomfortable sitting in your pew. And I think I was uncomfortable, I'll speak for myself, I was uncomfortable watching them argue and debate because their debate is one that rages inside of me each and every day when I read the paper or listen to the news. Go and do something. No, no, no. Sit and listen. It's kind of the same argument that Mary and Martha were having when Jesus boldly triangles himself with two sisters who I'm guessing have had this argument before. I'll be honest, don't like this story. Never preached on it before. 
pass it over every year, every time I get the chance. It's just not one of my favorites. I don't like it all that much, never have. It seems to elevate, pit, first of all, pits two sisters against each other, which is never a good thing, but also seems to elevate the importance of nurturing one's inner life over and against the necessity of living out our life in faith in acts of service and compassion. I mean, Martha is simply doing what needs to be done. I'm guessing she's the older sister. I'm the oldest son. I'm just doing what I have to do. Someone's got to clean the kitchen. Someone's got to make the food. And while she's doing what needs to be done, Jesus reprimands her while affirming her sister Mary who sits and listens to everything he has to say. I'll be honest, on its own, I don't find this exchange all that helpful. It doesn't make much sense to me on its own. Which is why I'm wondering if it's supposed to be paired with what came right before. With a story that comes right on the cusp of the beginning of this one. A story where the one who does what needs to be done is affirmed, the Good Samaritan. While the two religious people who pass by on the other side are not. As people of faith, we are on a journey of transformation. We're in this business to be transformed by God. And this transformation is not merely a change of morals. That does happen. It can be good. It's not merely a change of our group affiliation or of our belief system. This transformation is a change in the way we receive and hear and process each and every moment and each and every day. It's a change in how and where we stand when conflicts and problems and curiosities come our way. A few weeks ago, David Brooks wrote an interesting op-ed piece entitled, At the Edge of the Inside, where he expanded on the writings of Father Richard Rohr. In the article, Brooks argued that in any organization, any system, there are three distinct groups of people. There are those who serve at the core These are the insiders who are in the rooms where the decisions are made, where it happens. They're there. These are the ones who are so committed to the institution they often fail to see its faults and its failures. They're the insiders. Then there are the outsiders. These are the ones who throw stones at the institution, at the system, from far beyond its walls. They are untouched by internal loyalties and try to make it take over things from without. But then there is also this third position in every organization or system, those who are at the edge of the inside. These people are within the organization, but they aren't assumed by the group think. They work at the boundaries, the edges, the bridges, the entryways, and are free from the central seductions of the institution. A person at the edge of the inside can see what's good about the group and what's not. They can see what's good about themselves and about a rival group that's speaking a different message. A person at the edge can be the best reformer because they have the loyalty of the faithful insider and the judgment of the critical outsider. A person on the edge, he argues, and I agree, is the one who can make the greatest difference. But there are downsides to living life on the edge. You never lose yourself fully in the joy of a full headfirst commitment You may be respected and befriended, but you will never be loved as completely as the people at the core love one another, that band of brothers and sisters. And because you have your feet in both camps, you will never enjoy the purity of the outsider or that of the true believer. 
In summary, it's really hard to live on the edge of the inside. It's like walking a tightrope with your eyes closed and the wind blowing, and yet walking that edge is exactly where we're called to be. Go and do, sit and listen. As I tried to process the unlikely pairing of these two stories that seem to affirm two very different things, I'm struck by how it's only in standing on the edge of the inside that we can find the right balance between nurturing our inner and outer spiritual lives. It's only with one foot in both places that we can hear what we need to hear, when we need to hear it, and do what needs to be done when the work needs to be done, then and there. Because there are times that we should act boldly and quickly to challenge the status quo. It's one of the frustrations of being in a church, being Presbyterian. It takes so long to do things. And there are times we need to do something without having it approved by a committee or a board or consensus even being reached. But as we know from experience, there are also times we need to sit and listen to God and to one another to discern slowly sometimes what God is calling us to do. Go and do, sit and listen. Two very different commands put together by Jesus. Activism without contemplation nearly always ends in aimless doing that aggravates existing difficulties instead of improving them. At least that's been my experience. And contemplation without a commitment to live differently nearly always ends in pointless self-reflection that does little more than maintain the status quo. My favorite word in the English language is oomphaloskepsis, the contemplation of one's navel. Look it up. There's a time to contemplate, contemplate one's own navel, maybe, I don't know. There's a time for contemplation, though. We need to do both acting and listening, doing and being. And the only way I've experienced that we will do both is to make time for Jesus, for the one who lives on the edge. Because he will speak to us the words we need to hear. He will give us the command, whether it's sit down, Mary, or stand up, Martha, or stand up, Martha, and sit down, Mary. He will give the commands we are meant to hear. In fact, I wonder if in today's reading, what Mary was listening to was a story about a Samaritan who did a good deed on the side of the road. Jesus will teach us and tell us what we need to do. You read him long enough, you'll discover that. But he also will give us grace and peace and forgiveness and mercy. The point of all this religious business we are engaged in is to have more and more experiences of God. Experiences that inform our understanding of ourselves and the world we live in. Experiences that inform our understanding of how we are called to act in response to all the things that are happening in our lives, in our city, our nation, and our world. And sometimes we find that connection, that experience in doing what Jesus would have us do, but sometimes we find that connection, that experience in listening to what Jesus has to say. The inner and the outer spiritual life are connected. They both require our time and our attention. And since we all have our preferences, we need to be in the presence of the one who calls us on this journey 
to hear the lessons we need to hear, to strike the balance between going and doing and sitting and listening. This past week, I rediscovered an African-American theologian of the early 20th century named Howard Thurman. I'd read his stuff in seminary, but had forgotten it, and I was so pleased to come across it again. His wisdom that made sense nearly 100 years ago still makes sense today. He has something to say to us as we seek to be faithful in a stressful and complex time. In his book, Meditations of the Heart, he wrote, The only hope for surcease." The only possibility of stability for the person is to establish an island of peace within one's own soul. And well within this island is a temple of God where God dwells, not the God of the creed or the church or the family, but the God of one's heart. That temple, that inner place is on the edge of the inside between doing and being, between going and listening Your inner place, your island, your true home cannot be found in just committing yourself to some righteous cause, and it can't be found in just committing yourself to some profound and deep spiritual practice. Your inner place, your island, your true home can only be found in the presence of the one who equips even as he commands. Jesus, the Son of the living God, our hope and our salvation, and the one who lived his entire life right on the edge that place where love and faithfulness meet, where righteousness and peace embrace, and where we hear what we need to hear to ensure that our spiritual lives, our outer and our inner, reflect God's mercy, joy, and peace. Amen.